This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus. Hope Lives Friday side notes. Uh, On Fridays, we're going to delve into some side notes. And what are side notes? They may be historical issues that I want to deal with that give you a biblical perspective. It might be something economic, might be something from the Bible, might be some symbolism from the Bible, or it might even just be some ideas, philosophical, maybe even scientific that interest me and that I think the Bible either speaks to or they shed light on scripture and allow you to understand and see scripture in uh, maybe a new, a different, a more in-depth way than you saw it before. So uh, Friday Side Notes is a dealer's choice type situation for me in, in that I am going to just give you information that is important. Welcome. This is our last Friday where we're going to deal with the uh, question of what is the new birth, and we're going to delve into it and uh, give some explanations and and go through some scripture. And uh, the best way on the last session to go through scripture is maybe take one of the most difficult and uh, hard passages, one that is perplexed and caused a lot of problems with believers, and explain it and go through it using the understanding, the idea of being born again, and use that to simplify it, and in all actuality to explain it in such a way that maybe even would remove your, your struggle with it. And that passage is actually written by John himself. And if you'll notice, a lot of what I've talked about in <clears throat> the last two Fridays are passages that were written by John. Now, we went into the Old Testament. We've been in Romans. We've been in Corinthians. We've been in Ephesians. All kinds of passages that deal with being born again and that in opposition to or that as a part of being saved or salvation because the new birth is the regenerative work of God. It makes us justified before God. And then that begins or that is the starting point of salvation or the salvific process of how or how God is sanctifying us. And ultimately that leads to glorification when we pass away physically. God gives us a new body and that new body is perfect, timeless, and it is glorified. And so we have justification, sanctification, and glorification. To understand that, I want to go through a passage in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, and it goes through verse 9, and I want to just explain that passage using the new birth and using our understanding that we're justified before God before we're ever beginning to be sanctified before God. And I know oftentimes uh, you'll hear people say, I was saved at time. And the truth is they were being saved at that time because they didn't do anything to be justified before God. God gave them the new birth. He begat by his own will and by his own power through the Holy Spirit. And at that moment in time, they were given the great gift of faith and the ability to begin to trust God. And they're right. At that moment, if, it, if, it, if they realized it at the very moment that they were born again, they were being saved. And that's the truth. And there's no doubt about it. But some people are justified 
or sanctified, and then God begins the process of wooing them to the place where they have that conversion experience, that experience where they realize that God has a plan for them, that God loves them, that God has atoned for all that they've done wrong in their life before, and that he is uh, prepared to make them a new cre uh, creation, to make them something uh, that they're not now, and then they turn and begin to chase after God. And that process of sanctification leads them to the a time where they turn and they are converted. And that conversion experience is what we oftentimes call salvation. And uh, I was saved then. But the Apostle Paul in uh, the New Testament and John many times will mention, and you'll even see Peter and James talk about these things in such a way that it seems like salvation is a process. And the reason they talk about it that way is because it is a process. Salvation, they'll say, talk about salvation of themselves in the past tense. They'll talk about salvation of themselves in the present tense. And then they'll talk about salvation of themselves in the future tense. And the only way for that to be happening is that it be a process and not a singular event. And we know that the salvific process, the sanctification of God, our salvation is a process. And we understand that. Let's go to that passage in John, 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Now, what John is explaining is an Old Testament principle, and he is explaining that Old Testament principle that revolves around the law. It's very important that we understand that and that we walk in it because it's, as you uh, live your life and you live in the world that you live in, especially if you live in the United States, <clears throat> the way it works is if you commit a crime or you break the code of Alabama or the code of the United States, meaning that you've in some way transgressed the law of this country, that law will have certain aspects to it. And uh, those aspects of that law or those parts of that will be spelled out in the code. And when you break the law, you have to break every part of that law. And so if the law has five things that are necessary to commit, let's say, robbery, and you only commit four of those things, you didn't break that code because you have to break it all. That is the way our laws work. And generally speaking, in the West, that's the way law works, period. But in the Old Testament, that's not the way the law works. In the Old Testament, the Bible teaches that if you transgress one part of the law, meaning if you are not God or if you do things that are outside of God's will, which is by definition not God, if you do anything that's outside the will of God, then you have broken the law. And if you do anything that is outside the will of God and break the law, then you've broken not just part of a code like in, in the United States, but what you've done is You've broken the whole law, and the Bible says that you're lawless, which means that you're separated from God, That which means that death has entered you. And we, we understand from Hebrews especially, but also in the book of Romans, that, that the first man, Adam, broke the law, or what he did was he transgressed God's instructions when God told him not to eat of the fruit of that tree. When he transgressed uh, God's instructions, he became lawless. And he was separated from God because that lawlessness is a lawlessness that's complete and total. And so he was a transgressor of the law or he was lawless. And that's what John's saying here in verse four. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawless. That makes sense now that we understand that if you transgress God's holiness in one part, 
then you are completely unholy and you are completely lawless. And he says, and that he may, he was manifest to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. I think we, we know that as believers, we understand that. And if you don't, I'm sure I'm going to cover that in some of my Bible studies in the future and have covered it in the past, that Jesus Christ is manifest to us to take away our sins. Jesus Christ, uh, for God so loved the world. It's, it's the most well-known passage, most well-known verse in the Bible. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He came to take away our sins. That's there, there it is. And in him, there is no sin. John writes that in his gospel. That's a, that is a primary hill to die on teaching of the New Testament, that Jesus Christ was born sinless. He was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit without sin, and that he lived a sinless life. And his atoning sacrifice was a perfectly paid for sacrifice for our sins. And so that's straightforward right there. So man's lawless if he commits sin. Jesus Christ came and paid for that sin. Verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Um, there's where the trouble starts coming in. If I abide in him, I do not sin. And whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Let me say this. Paul kept talking about us all being saved and that process of salvation has to do with God saving something. What is he saved? It can't be something that's perfect and sinless. It has to be something that's imperfect and continues to sin. And what that is, that is your heart and your mind and your soul. And so can it be that John is talking about our soul being uh, sinning? And if we abide in him, we would not sin. I don't think that's what that's talking about because it can't be that my soul doesn't sin because all of us know that our hearts continually turn from God. And the Bible even teaches us this, teaches us that. He says, no one is righteous, no, not one. Each is turned to his own wicked ways. He, we continue to be lawless. We continue in our hearts and our minds to turn to our own wicked ways because our hearts and our minds have not been made perfect before him yet. And that is what is sinning. Now you say, my flesh sins too. And that's true, but your flesh is utterly sinful. In fact, the Bible really doesn't have any answer for your flesh other than to throw it away and give you new flesh, uh, new flesh that is sinless. So we know it's not talking about that because your flesh in no way, in no possibility could abide in him or could uh, be with him. In fact, sinful flesh cannot go into the holiness of God. In fact, that's what Moses was worried about. And God told him that you can't see my holiness because you'll because sinful flesh cannot be in the presence of God. So it's got to be either our soul, which is continually struggling with sin and God's continually saving and making it new and bringing us into his will and his way and teaching us to walk as he is and to be as he is, to walk in the light, as John has said already in this passage, to walk in the light as he is in the light. The only way for us to do that is for us to stumble and fall sometimes and not do it. That can't be what he's talking about. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, verse seven, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Now he's talking about righteousness now. And we understand that righteousness is about faith. And so he's saying, I don't want you to be deceived. 
I'm talking when I talk about righteousness, I'm talking about your soul and your soul, the way your soul pleases God, the way our heart and our mind, our our passions and our intellect, intellect, our thoughts and well, our emotions, the way where they please God is by being righteous. And how are we righteous with God? That's an Old Testament principle and a New Testament principle. The way we're righteous with God is by faith. We are made right with God and we have a righteousness that's not by the law, but it's by faith. Verse eight, he says, he who sins is of the devil for the devil is sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the son of God was manifest that we might, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So he's saying, I'm trying to, the devil is everything that is not God and God was manifest that he might destroy those works. So verse seven says, I don't want you to be saved. If you practice righteousness, uh, you're righteous. And just as he is righteous. So, which means if you practice faith, which leads to righteousness, you're okay with God. I don't want you, he's, he's explaining how you can, in verse six, abide in him and not sin. He says, that's not talking about your soul because your soul practices righteousness by faith. And the only reason that uh, you don't do everything perfect is because your soul continues to struggle with that curse of sin and that righteousness that comes from him, that righteousness comes by faith. And then he says, sin is of the devil. And that's verse eight. And God has manifest himself that he might destroy that work. And then he brings it all together in verse nine. And he says this, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Oh, that's what he's talking about. What is born of God? It's not our soul. It's not our, it's not our heart and our mind. Our, our soul we received from our father, Adam. We received when we were when we were born of water or born of the flesh, and it was formed originally in the garden in Adam, and then formed in Eve when God put him in a sleep and took uh, a part of his side and created her. And so our souls are passed on from our Father. So it can't be that. What he's talking about is that new birth again. Whoever is born of God does not sin. So what is he explaining to us? He's explaining something wonderful to us. He's explained to us that spirit that he made new in you, that he created in you before you even knew him or had any idea that he existed. That spirit that was made in you is perfect and sinless. And that spirit abides with God. He said, whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed remains in him. Remember that's that deposit that God's made. That's an incorruptible seed that we talked about last week that's placed inside of you. And notice, and he, meaning that spirit inside of you, cannot sin because he has been born of God. So the cool thing about your spirit is your spirit, when it's placed in you, when you're begotten of God, when you're born again, doesn't sin. It's sinless. And it has perfect communion with the Holy Spirit. And it has this thing that is timeless also. It has eternal life, which means that even though you walk in this world of flesh and you walk in this world uh, of sin, and even though your heart and your mind struggle with sin, and even though your heart and your mind learn how to walk by faith and not by sight, even though all that's going on, at the same time, your spirit which is inside of you, which is the good deposit from God, which is the kingdom of God inside of you, 
that spirit lives eternally with God and abides with God. Notice he says that in verse six, whoever abides in him does not sin. That spirit continually and constantly abides with God and you uh, receive the power and you receive the eternal life that Jesus said he presently gives those whom the father gives me. I give eternal life. That eternal life uh, abides or remains or dwells in your perfect human spirit, which was begotten of God before you ever began the salvation process. And so when you turned and were converted, you began to walk with God. And that walk was empowered and made possible by the finished work of Jesus Christ that we see in verse, we see in verse five. And then that finished work of Jesus Christ ultimately brings about, it brings about God's very best in you, which is a perfect human spirit that dwells with God, abides with God, lives with God, and lives with God's Holy Spirit inside of you and provides all the resources of the kingdom of God that you might walk in righteousness, that you might walk by faith. Boy, that's a that's that makes that passage a whole lot easier, doesn't it? It makes it a whole lot easier because if I've got to be sinless to be with God, I'm a failure every day. And I love it when the Apostle Paul and King David talk about their sin being before them, always before them. The reason that is, is because we have to learn to walk by faith and our heart and our mind have to be changed to God's will. And that is the struggle of life. That is the thing that Paul talks about, the things I want to do, I do not do, but the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. He's talking about that struggle of faith and that struggle that our soul has to walk with God. But there's a promise and there's a seed inside of you and there is a kingdom inside of you. And that kingdom emanates from a new human spirit that dwells with God and that has and possesses eternal life even right now. So all the glories of God, all the power of God, all the eternality of God, the timelessness of God dwells inside of you even right now. And the only way you would even uh, understand this, the only way that you would ever conceive this or even desire to know this is because he's placed that inside of you. And so if you're worried about, do I have, I'm going to tell you, if you've gotten all the way to the end of this and you really have desired to know this, well, I can tell you the only way that would be possible is that you'd have a new human spirit that's desiring to teach your soul this truth. And so I would say to you, that if you hear this, like you hear his voice and you're hearing his, him speak to you in your heart, if you hear this today, you are, you are already righteous and you are already right before God because you've been justified and God has made you a new creation already. And so walk in it, experience it, experience it at its fullness, become all that God wants you to be because he loves you and he is working a perfect and pleasing plan for you. And I expect that you will have it. And I expect it in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.